Pego. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ferret 64 with me, your host, Yemi the Ferret, aka Yemi. Hope everyone's doing good this week. We got um, we got a couple of interesting things today, so hang out. You know, we got uh, the state of play for Final Fantasy. We got some games to review today. Ah, oh, you know, it's going to be really, really great. I'm still getting used to the new microphone, so hopefully it sounds better today. Um, I realized that I was shoving the microphone in my face, which, you know, because there's gain and stuff on this mic that is different from my old one, I was a little bit too close, which caused the audio to sound a little bit worse for her, but I feel, I, I think, I think we're getting it now. I think we're getting it good now, but won't really know until I actually, uh, edit the episode so fingers crossed uh, but anyway let's get into the first part of the show which is what have i been playing this past week all right so first up on my list is a game called tron identity identity uh this game was revealed during a nintendo direct if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, for a visual novel, it looked fine. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I claimed that I wasn't going to get it, but this week of gaming was kind of slow for me. And I said, you know what? It's it's 15 bucks. I can always refund it if I don't like it. So we went ahead, I went ahead and got it and played through it a couple times. Uh, I think... <clears throat> for a visual novel it's fine um you know for a tron game though kind of i don't know kind of weird there's no voice acting at all um the soundtrack is it's nice it's fine you know i don't mind the soundtrack but the uh you know the game itself is just kind of like eh, okay there's a lot of publications and a lot of people saying that this is a great visual novel game, and I just, I don't, I don't see that. Like, it's fine, but it's not, like, the best thing I've ever played. You know, I would rather play The Murder of Sonic again than play through Tron, like, uh, Tron Identity another time. And that's saying a lot, because, well, actually, that's not saying that much, because The Murder of Sonic was actually a really good visual novel game with some you know, of, the, of those sonic elements that you know and love. Whereas Tron Identity, you know, it's got this, like... I mean, let's be honest, it's got a pretty basic story to it that is pretty easy to predict what's going to happen. <laughs> There's a limited number of characters. There's a limited number of choices. And in the end, you have really... You really don't have too much, like... The, the thing is, like, you can either choose to, like, leave, or you can choose to... Well, I guess I shouldn't... I shouldn't spoil too much, actually. Okay, so let me, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Got a little bit ahead of myself there. But, um... Yeah, I mean, the, st <clears throat> the story's pretty basic. 
you know, it, it's it it kind of hits every beat that you know it'll hit. You know, there's I I I feel like there's not enough characters in the game to really make the story feel impactful because you know you play as like a detective in in the Tron world, you know, and they kind of touch on a few things from like the Tron movie. Um, I haven't seen the Disney like the uh, the newer Tron movie in a long time. I don't think I watched through the whole thing, honestly, because I, I, I love the original Tron. The original Tron was, like, it's got that charm, and it's got that, like, you know, that vibe to it that I feel like is, is it's just, it's just, it's just in general better. And the new Tron movie, like, that came, I don't remember when it came out. I just, I just feel like, you know, it's got less heart in it, you know, and it, it, it's not, it's just not as good. But, they are designing. They did. They they did design a new roller coaster, or whatever, around it recently. So I'm guessing people like it and enough. You know, obviously Disney thinks that it's a property that they can get money off of by making this like little little game to maybe satiate people's appetite for some sort of Tron experience. I do believe that there was a game called Tron Legacy that came out. For like the in the PS3 era or something like that, I do believe there was a video game for that movie, because that was the time of video game movies kind of becoming shit. <laughs> um, or not video game movies, but movies ba or video games based on movies becoming shit. Um, but anyway, a Tron Identity. Hey, let's get back to the subject here. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, you can practically skip through the dialogue and you still will understand what's happening. It's not that complex of a story and the branching paths really aren't that interesting. You know, if you choose to do one thing or another, your reward is pretty much just a new line of dialogue or a different line of dialogue in a conversation later. So... <laughs> Uh, if that's, if that's your cup of tea, there you go, but the payoffs really aren't good enough to, like, put this whole, like, choose your own adventure at the, be uh, like, you know, in all the marketing and, and in your face, because it's not really that big of a deal, you know? Obviously, there's some character motivations that can change depending on what happens, but it's so surface level that... It, it just doesn't seem to really matter, in my opinion. Uh, I went I went ahead and 100% of the game because it was it was easy enough, you know that the achievements on Steam were were about as basic as they come, you know, just kind of choosing different options, keeping everyone alive, etc. Um, so I have the 100% achievements, and then I also decided to do a bit of a speed run for it. Uh, and I recorded myself doing it. You can check out the video on uh, the Yummy the Ferret Vods channel on YouTube. And uh, I got a time of 8 minutes, and I believe it was more like 4 seconds, but it was 8 minutes 5 at the end of it all, which I was fine with. You know, I seem to be the only person who's, who did a speedrun of the game. Uh, it's not even available on, like, the speedrunning website that I check sometimes, occasionally. <laughs> um... So right now, as as from my from you know from what I've seen, I, I'm I am the world record holder for Tron Identity's speed run. So there you go, uh, please clap. 
But, I mean, the game... Uh, well, I guess I should talk about the puzzle aspect in the game, which is probably going to be where you may spend most of your time if you enjoy the puzzle aspect. Um, so everyone has a data disc on their back, of course. And essentially what you do as a detective is you unscramble the data disc to unlock memories for the person and try and solve the mystery of who blew up the vault and what did they steal, right? So it's pretty much a matching game um, or, or something like that, except it's in a circle. So if, you know, you can, you can swap out um, the same symbol cards, I guess you could call them. And you can also swap out the same numbered cards, even if they have a different symbol. And essentially what you want to do is you want to have, you know, the, um, the number of cards remaining that it shows on the screen. So, you know, if it says three remaining, then, you know, you want to have three at the end of the, the puzzle. Um, they made this... They made this kind of needlessly complicated, um, but it's simple enough. I mean, it, it is. I mean, it's it's both complicated and simple at the same time. It's hard to explain because each card has a number, like you know, one through nine. But sometimes the number of spaces that you can go with the card do not equal nine. It equals eight or it equals five, and it doesn't make sense to me at times which is what really kind of started messing me up later on when the puzzles got a little bit more difficult. But you can always just have the AI play for you. There's an option to have um, the computer do a move for you up to three times. Or you can just outright skip the puzzle segments if you so desire. I found them entertaining enough, and there is a whole side mode that you can do that's just kind of... Um, you know, endless data disks, which I thought was, you know, and you could also do like different modifiers to it as well, because there's different things that there's different glitches, quote unquote, that can happen while you're playing or while you're unscrambling a data disk. So, you know, sometimes the cars will move on their own. Sometimes they'll be locked in place. Sometimes they'll change their numbers. Sometimes they'll, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that could happen. And that is the part of the game where it's like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I would have liked more of the more of these puzzles in the main game. Maybe I would have liked these puzzles to be more integrated into the main game. Maybe they they should make more sense in the main game. Or just design your game. I guess they kind of just designed the game around this concept of the of this puzzle uh, system or gimmick, whatever you want to call it. And the story based around it, they kind of half-assed because. They, because because you know there's there's times where it's like you've done something and and a character like doesn't like shouldn't really like you, but they hand over their data disc for you to unscramble anyway. Which, I mean, I don't know if I was someone who didn't who didn't trust or like the main character of this game, maybe I wouldn't hand them you know what essentially is my brain to them. <laughs> <coughs> but that's just me. That is just me. I feel like I've been talking about this game for a while, and I've, I mean, uh, there's really not much to it. If you're playing through the game normally, it's going to probably take you about 15 to 20 minutes to get through the story. Um, there's some little, there, there's some things like that you can, um, there's some like lore items you can find throughout the game. They're like, they're hidden about in the, in the scenery. But, you know, even, and, you know, and the, and the, you know, the characters and the backgrounds and the visual side of things does look good but there's some things that kind of look weird you know there's a there's a guy called Perez he's the red one if you've seen the trailers 
And like his 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 animation for like standing there and talking to you is just kind of off-putting. Like his eyes are weird and his movements are a little weird. And it's because they're taking a image that was drawn and they're animating it, which means you know they're kind of like bending and 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 blending and moving things in an awkward way because they don't actually have an animation happening. It's just, well, it is an animation, but it's like them just kind of like moving us a, a drawing up and down or left or moving the eyes left and right. I just hit my desk. I apologize. So essentially what you have is just these characters who do the bare minimum of moving, you know, they don't have voice acting. So you kind of have to give the characters their own voices, but it would have been nice to have a, you know, this is a Disney property. It's a Disney game. It has Disney in the main title, Disney's Tron identity. Well, maybe maybe Disney's not in the main title, but it's in it's on it's in all the the images and stuff like that. Why don't we have voice acting? You know why why not hire a few voice actors to to voice the characters? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I feel like the game would have a lot more personality if they just put a few voices into the game. You know, even if they even if they only have because you know, there's some games like Dredge that don't really have voice acting, but you understand how the character sounds because. You know, when you talk to them, they go, uh, or something like that, you know? Same thing with Call to the Lamb, you know? Instead of actually having the character speak, they just kind of bumble around, you know? They just have, like, the, the Banjo-Kazooie mumble noise. And in Tron, you could have them just say, the like, the first word or, or part of a sentence when their dialogue pops up. But that's the other thing, too. It's not it's not made like a regular visual novel where the dialogue is, is front and center. What's front and center is the visual side of things. And then at the bottom, there's like this line of text that goes. And if you have the auto scroll thing turned on, it'll go way too fast. I know I'm a slow reader, okay? I did not get past pink back in elementary school, pink level reading back in elementary school, which <coughs> was pretty low. Okay, I'll, get, I'll tell you that. But damn, this, this dialogue moves so quickly. Like it's a there there'll be like three lines of dialogue in a paragraph and it'll just and it will pop up for about a second and then move on, so I had to turn that off, which is where the speed running kind of came around because I just you know, you you press P to skip the dialogue, and so I was just I was just pressing P to skip past dialogue after I played through the game a couple times because you know after I played through it twice and realized that nothing really changes. For the most part, and when I did get to a new section that I, you know, that not maybe not a new section, but a new line of dialogue or a new character that, not a new character, but a, a new thing happening with the characters, it wasn't really that interesting. But I, I did, I did make sure I read through all of the all of the stuff for all the different ways that you can finish the game. Obviously, there's it's a branching path game, but there's still one path to go on. It's just there's a few different things that happen it's it's base level stuff it's it's probably even it's probably le less than a telltale game you know back at back i i always complain about this era the era of telltale games where you know they just kind of were putting outputting too many games and so you know you you would play the walking dead season two and like nothing mattered you know nothing you did mattered <laughs> So essentially, like, characters would just die after they're done being useful. Or if you saved a character in the last episode, they would just immediately die in the next one. And you kind of, I kind of, I kind of feel like Tron Identity kind of does it even worse. 
where really nothing does change except for oh um this character isn't angry at you so they don't show up at the end or this character is angry at you so they show up at the end <laughs> or you know because this character wasn't stolen away they have a few extra lines of dialogue in this part of the game you know it's like okay all right cool <laughs> whatever uh, but by the end of it all, I was just kind of like, okay, you know, it's it's fine. It's just it's just a base level fine. I mean, if you're a Tron fan, there are some there are some things that you'll find interesting in this game. There's a whole there's a whole room you can go to with literal lore, just across all across the walls, and you can explore the walls and and learn about the Tron universe. You know, because I mean, you know, in in the end. You know, this whole Tron world was made by the humans outside, so there's a whole bunch of knickknacks and stuff that is um, that's put into this little world that were left by the developer or whatever you will call the software engineer. Um, which I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting to you know to learn about the first time, you know. But um, yeah, that's that Tron identity. Would I? Would I? Would I? I mean, I don't know. I guess if you're a Tron fan. Go ahead and play it. Maybe wait for a sale because it's not that much of a game. But I digress. It's a good Tron experience, I suppose. If you're not a fan of Tron, but you are a fan of sci-fi, you might you might get a you might get something out of this. But I would definitely wait for a sale since really the price tag is just for the Tron branding. You know, Disney branding, right? If you're not a fan of sci-fi, if you're not a fan of Tron. But you're a fan of visual novels, skip this one. It's not that great of a visual novel experience. Trust me, I've played a few of them. And when the murder of Sonic is making your game look like like trash <laughs> in comparison, uh, you know you've messed up somewhere. And that's Tron Identity, folks. Alright, next up, Metroid Prime Remastered. We, f uh, we finished that on stream. Um, I know I usually don't stream new games, but I felt like Metroid Prime Remastered. It's it's one of those one. It's one of those games that like, um, you know, you you play when you're younger, and maybe you don't get through the whole game because it's a bit confusing. And trust me, I got confused on this playthrough as well. Um, but in the end, you know, you you find it enjoyable. So I just kind of wanted to relive some of those memories. While also officially, finally finishing the game after how many years since the original one came out. And I will say that, uh, yeah, it's still a great game. You know, it's still a, it's still an incredible experience. Um, I just, you know, with with Metroidvanias, and, most, and mo it seems to be more so Metroids. <laughs> um, the backtracking is a bit egregious at times. And I know I personally screwed up the backtracking because I didn't realize I needed more artifacts at the end of the game than I had. So I had to go all the way back through some areas several times. Um, but that still does not, um, that does not have, you know, allow me to forgive the game for just how much backtracking and how long it takes you to get to some areas because there's only like one entrance, one exit, and you got to walk through a whole area, you know, several times to get, to get there. It, it's just one of those things like I under, I like, yeah, I, I, you know, maybe streamline it a little bit more. You know, I guess I guess in the remaster version, maybe they could have added like a, a fast travel system to each point. But 
I guess it does take away from the Metroid part of the game because, you know, you look at this game and you remember how, um, you know, how, how different it is, but also how similar it is to the past Metroid games. And if you had a fast travel system in there, it would kind of defeat the purpose of being a Metroid game, I guess you could say. Because Metroid is all about going back through rooms and redefeating enemies and then moving on and doing something new with the new power-up that you have. You know what I'm saying. And you, you feel that in this game. You know, Metroid Prime does not shy away from locking areas off where you don't have a grapple hook. You don't have the, the plasma beam. You don't have the uh, the super bomb. You know, it, it blocks off these areas. And then once you can get those you know, once once you have the items that you need to progress, you go back through all those areas with all those enemies, and then you can do the new thing. You know, sometimes it's worth it, sometimes it's not. I would say most of the time it is worth it, but when it's just a missile upgrade, you know, sometimes that does feel a little bit, a bit, a little bit worthless, you know, <laughs> going back through an entire section for a, a missile upgrade. But there's, I mean, there's a lot of well-hidden things in the game, you know. Catalyst had to tell me to bomb a bridge, uh, in a video game, <laughs> the FBI don't go after me. Um, twice, you know, you you bomb it once to clear the rubble, and then you bomb it again to get a secret item. And I didn't know that. I mean, I went through the whole game, you know, going over this bridge multiple times, and then finally one time, you know, bomb it again. Oh, okay. And then there was an upgrade. Oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. You know, there's a few hidden walls here and there. Not a lot though. Um. And, you know, the end of the game, I, I like, you know, I, I had gotten to the point where I, when I was a kid, I did not do, I did not get the Chozo artifacts. I could never find them all because I didn't have the Prima strategy guide, one. <laughs> and two, I just, you know, I didn't have the patience, you know. Um, but, you know, the, the, the final three boss fights, which are kind of like, you know, boom, boom, boom in a row. Not not too shabby, you know. I I was kind of I was kind of hoping for a better boss fight, and you know the last you know because the 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 last like good boss fight before, um the you know the Ridley boss fight was like the one with the giant plant, you know. <laughs> I felt like that was the last one that I really felt was like a good boss fight. It had like unique elements to it, you know. Um, and so when you fight Ridley, like you know you're kind of using everything at your disposal, you know you're. Yeah, and and you're trying to dodge around and and get around the giant flying monster, um, and I felt like it was a good, you know, fairly balanced um, boss fight. It's also meant to be a skill check as well, because Ridley's Ridley does a lot of damage, but if you have all your tank energy tanks or most of your energy tanks, I was only missing one energy tank at the end of it all. You should be able to beat it, you know, on your first try. Um, and then you get to the second and third boss fights, which happen right one after the other, and you don't get time to breathe. And I felt like, yeah, I mean, the ending of the game was a little bit, was not as bombastic as I was hoping it was going to be, but it was still a pretty good, you know, duo of boss fights. You know, the first part of the fight, uh, you know, the Metroid Prime is in armor, and you have to shoot the, uh, the head of it with the shot that is color-coded to the armor. So when the armor's yellow, you use the original you know, blaster cannon, when it's purple, you use the electric one, you know, pretty basic stuff, but it's still a very good idea, and then when the prime breaks out of its armor in the final area, you can't damage it with your normal weapons, you need to use the phazon power that drops on the floor every so often, 
but it's more so about using the different visors that you have to keep track of the the Metroid Prime, which is cool, you know? Um, so, you know, sometimes you have to use the X-ray, sometimes you have to use the regular visor, sometimes you have to use the um, the heat one, and then you also need to scan it when you first start off to, to, you know, to get some tips on fighting it. But yeah, I, I found like I felt like they it, they kind of went hand in hand pretty well, you know, the two ending the two boss fights with the Metroid Prime, and uh, I like that they kind of mix things up with the uh, the visors being the main the main gimmick of the last fight and the blasters being the main gimmick of the second to last fight, you know. Uh, yeah, and 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 in general, you know, the, this remaster or I mean, some people are calling it a remake because they did kind of build it from the ground up. Visually, looks great. Um, sound, sound design wise, fantastic. Um, I don't really know exactly what they added to the game. You know, I, I know that they nudge you in the right direction every so often, but I don't know if that was in the original game or not. I can't remember myself, but I want to say it was, um, you know, I mean, just the visuals being upped was probably, you know, the, the, the best part of this remaster, you know, because the base game itself, Metroid Prime I mean, it's good, you know, it's a great game, you know, and you remaster it, give it a better, you know, give it a visual overhaul, and it just, you know, it's just a good game plus better visuals, so it's great, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, the original Metroid Prime game didn't look that bad anyway, you know, even even though it was running on the GameCube, you know, so yeah, I would recommend grabbing Metroid Prime Remastered if you're a fan of the games, if you're a fan of Metroid, if you're a fan of Metroidvanias, um, because it is one of the best ones that you can that you can find. You know, it's a it's a first person shooter at its core, but it's so much more built on top of that. You know, um, me personally, I hate the Switch Joy Cons. I hate using them, so I did buy um, the GameCube Joy Cons from NXY something like that, and um, they were really good. They 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 were nice and comfortable throughout the whole experience. I'll probably be using them for any Switch games that we play in the future. And it also gave me because they were GameCube controller Joy Cons, so it it gave me a little bit of nostalgia. You know, using the big A button with the other buttons kind of rotating around it. Very very nice, very nice indeed. And that's my Metroid Prime Remastered. End that off by complaining about the Joy Cons. <laughs> You know, originally I didn't really mind the Joy-Cons, but when you play games that like actually require a lot of movement with the camera, that, you know, the right Joy-Con, just that 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 joystick just sits a little bit too low in my opinion. You know, is it's 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 kind of it's kind of weird. But that's just my opinion. Uh so yes, I would I would recommend Metroid Prime Remastered. It's a great remaster. Um but, it, I mean, you know, you look at other remasters and remakes that came out this year, like uh, Dead Space, like Resident Evil 4 Remastered or Remake, whatever you want to call it. They definitely did a lot more to those games than Nintendo did the Metroid Prime. But that's okay, because Metroid Prime in general is a good game. Just like how Dead Space is a good game and Resident Evil 4 originally is a good game. I digress. I will say I've gotten to the point where I've met Ada in Resident Evil 4. And I find myself kind of agreeing with the people saying that she that the voice actress didn't do a great job with Ado. But I'm not going to be one of those people that like hates on the voice, you know, the actress herself. Maybe it was just the directing, how they directed her, how the you know how, how and you know the lines they gave her. I don't know. 
but she, it does come off a bit flat, which is unfortunate, because everyone else in the game is doing a great job with the voice work. Um, I'm definitely playing, I mean, this is not ruining the experience for me, I just want to say, like, you know, I understand where, where some of these people are coming from. The hate, not sure where that comes from. You don't need the hate on the voice actors, but, you know, you can have some constructive criticism. Me, personally, I would say a little bit flat of a performance. Not, you know, Ada is just kind of like talking in a monotone voice. She doesn't really do much. And that is kind of a problem to me because, well, I don't know. It's just it's just a little bit of a problem to me. Just a flat performance in general kind of sucks the air out of the game's experience in general. That's all I'm saying. And uh, I'm almost done with Meet Your Maker. I mean, done, quote-unquote. There's really no ending to the game, uh, but there is an end to the trophy list. And this is the first game this year that I wanted to complete the trophy list because I am enjoying it a lot. Uh, I've made a couple of bases now. It's the best way to get Gen Max. So if you're struggling to get, you know, if you if you're struggling with the grind of getting Gen Max which you only get by leveling up the Crimera. <clears throat> More information on what this stuff is in the last episode. Go back and check that one out. Come back to this one. Um, build some bases. It'll help you level up much quick, you know, much, much more fast. Much faster. <laughs> um, even like even if your base only kills like five people in a day, and then you need to, and then you need to prestige it. That's okay. I mean, that's five. You know, that's five resources that you wouldn't have had before. And eventually, as you upgrade your traps and stuff and, and upgrade the base, you'll be able to do more and make it more deadly, which will net you more resources. And you need to check in on it every day and prestige it every day so that you can keep getting those resources. You can only go up to Prestige 10. Once your base is at Presti Prestige 10, um, once it runs out of Gen Max, it's done. And that's unfortunate. It's kind of sad. You know, because I worked so hard in that first base to kind of make it like a, a like a, a a nice trap house, you know, a nice outpost, and now it's just gonna sit there forever and in the digital world. But I guess that kind of you know makes um, you know it makes the game you know it it it, it makes creators people who just want to build outposts they did you know keep building them you know they're not going to just stick stay on one outpost and update that outpost you know after after you prestige it 10 times you got to start a new one and maybe they do something different maybe they think of something different you know me personally i started build you know i built my my new outpost and i was starting to you know kind of you know understand you know the ways of 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 truly building a, uh, an outpost and so I, I just uh you know I, I really went all out on the on my latest one and I haven't checked it recently but last time I checked it already had like seven kills on it on the day that I made it which is pretty good compared to my last one which only got like one <laughs> so um but you know the nice thing is like as you upgrade your outposts you know you just start implementing more ideas you know obviously you take inspiration from the outposts that you've gone through yourself personally and uh, you know just things that you've thought of in general you know there's there's people who are doing some crazy stuff in this game and that's one of the coolest things is because it's all user generated content everyone's different with how they build their their outposts and it's just it's it's incredible to just like I haven't run into like the same configuration ever which is great because it keeps the game fresh and because you know people can only up update their their outposts so much it means that you're constantly going to get a flux of 
more outposts coming in. Of course, when the when the game eventually does lose its player base, which is bound to happen, you know, because, you know, it's just going to get older and people are going to move on, right? But the nice thing is that, you know, you do right now you do have this constant inf inf influx of new outposts, um, you know, new configurations, stuff like that. I almost wonder what they will do when the outpost output <laughs> is not as strong as it used to be. And I'm wondering if they'll just unvault all the prestiged, you know, max prestiged levels and just kind of rotate them. Or will they, or will the game just die and, you know, it'll be over with. Um, I guess the one thing that you can take out of this is that at least the game was free on PlayStation Plus. So if you didn't pay any money for it, well, quote unquote, didn't pay any money for it. At least you're not losing any funds if the game does eventually go offline. Uh, but I think it would be a good idea for them to kind of have a plan in place for when the eventual downfall of the game happens. Because unless they keep putting out DLC or free content updates consistently throughout the next year, uh, I think that people are going to drop off this. Because even though I'm having a lot of fun with it, I do kind of, you know, you, you kind of start to feel that grind early on, you know, as you try and upgrade your stuff and get new stuff. And at this point, I only have two more trophies to unlock, one of them being the seven augments for a guard, and one of them being upgrading your armor all the way. And I'm almost done with the armor. The, the guards I've kind of waited on because they are the least expensive, so it'll take the least amount of time to get through them. But still, seven upgrades for the guards, which is kind of crazy. Um... But like I said, I mean, like I said last time, the game is really fun. I'm really enjoying it. I hope it stays around for a while. Even after I'm done with the Platinum Trophy, I'll probably still play it. Especially if someone else wants to play it with me. Um, they still need to work on the servers a little bit. But that's all background stuff. You know, the, the, the game is still a little bit laggy if you're playing co-op. Um, which can be, which can lead to some untimely deaths. But other than that, I feel like the game is on point. It's really fun. If you have PlayStation Plus, make sure you play it. Check it out. I'm having a lot of fun with it myself, and uh, I think you will too. It's it's a kind of a, a very accessible game. If you like building, there's building. If you like shooting, there's shooting. <laughs> and puzzle solving. I guess not really puzzle solving, but you know what I'm saying. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next part of the show, which is going to be what was announced at that gaming show. All right, so recently, this this past week, I believe it was Thursday. Uh, yes, it was Thursday last week. The state of play for Final Fantasy 16 kicked off. And I got to say, you know, I, like, look, I'm not a huge Final Fantasy guy. I didn't finish Final Fantasy VII Remake, even though I was knocking on the door of that Sephiroth fight. I just couldn't do it. You know why? Because they... I left to take a break with the game, and I came back on the next Saturday, and I was amped, and I was ready to go, and what they did is they pushed me back to a save point that was an hour or so, a full, like, three boss fights before the Sephiroth fight, and that was just so degrading, and, and, and I just could not do it, okay? Maybe eventually I'll boot it back up and switch to easy mode and glide through it like so many other people before me. But that was the most frustrating thing ever, and I wasn't enjoying the game in general, so I just decided to drop it. I've played other Final Fantasy games, uh, most recently the Stranger of Paradise game, which I found pretty enjoyable. 
And it looks like Final Fantasy 16 is is ditching the uh, the long history of you know controlling every aspect of a battle with you know um, the kind of like a it's almost like a ability menu or whatever you call it. You know how Final Fantasy 7 Remake, you know, you, you kind of pause the gameplay, choose what your character needs to do, or choose what your ally needs to do. You can even take control of your allies. The Final Fantasy 16 seems to be ditching all that and to be more of like a Stranger of Paradise type game. Meaning that your your AI companions will do their own thing, help you out in their own ways. And hopefully they've made them smart enough to, to, to work around um, the game's mechanics. But, um, you know, I wasn't like... I mean, I was jet. I mean, I was I was into the game when I when it was first revealed at, I believe it was revealed at the last state of play, and um, you know this just kind of like sold the game for me here. I mean, I, uh, I I'm more of like an action focused type person. Um, no, I don't like huge open worlds, but this one's kind of intriguing. You know, it, it's more of a medieval style. <clears throat> it kind of you know some some areas kind of remind me of, you know, like. Um, a little bit of Lord of the Rings, but also, like, there's other areas that remind me of more medieval settings, you know. Um, obviously, there's a heavy fantasy setting to this as well. Um, but, I mean, the gameplay they showed off and, and the commentary along with it was just really, really good. It really did sell the game. I mean, the game looks fantastic. The one thing I noticed, though, and maybe this is just for the trailers to show off the moves without the enemies dying super quickly... <laughs> A lot of enemies were very spongy, even even kind of like the smaller enemies were very spongy. They took a lot of damage, and they didn't. Then their health bars didn't really seem to move, um, and that was double for like the big boss or kaiju type monsters that were in the game or shown off in the game as well. And me personally, I'm not a huge fan of spongy enemies. You know, that's one of the reasons why Destiny never really stuck with me was because you would spend an hour fighting the same giant ball monster <laughs> that just had a enormous health bar and it was just not fun you know um hope i mean this game obviously has a lot of flair to it there's a lot of different moves and i guess weapons to use um, a lot of different abilities to kind of mix and match which might make the uh the spongy enemies not as egregious as something like destiny um but it is one of those things that I, I i am a little just a little concerned about seeing as you know that's kind of like something that I don't like in gaming these days. But like I said, it could it could have just been a trailer thing. Maybe they just up the enemy's health bars to show off like the different moves that the characters can do without them dying real quickly. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the game visually looks great. Combat-wise, looks looks really fun. Um, the open world aspect, I mean, it looks like a pretty decent-sized map. Also, the accessibility options in here are really nice as well. You know, there's like a... There's an auto dodge, but there's also like one that'll give you a window and it'll tell you when to press the dodge button or the parry button, which is nice. Um, if you want to, you can play the game in uh, in a in a pseudo story mode <clears throat> instead of the you know original mode, which gives you a bunch of items to help with combat so that you're not struggling as much. If you're not a combat kind of person, but you really love the story of Final Fantasy games, um, they they allow you to kind of like you know, play through the game on a sort of easy mode. But, I mean, if you complete the game in story mode, that's not the, you know, like, don't feel bad, you know? I, I feel like I, I feel like games should be played, or, yeah, games should be played and finished by anyone. Anyone who wants to play a game. If they don't really like combat, 
allow them to allow them to play the game on on an easy mode and and i i never i never shame people for you know doing things to make the game easier you know elden ring was a big there's a big there's a lot of contention around elden ring and people using spirit summons or whatever to help with fights and people were like well you didn't really beat the game if you used a, a great sword it's like, are you sure? Because I did reach the end credits, and you were the one complaining about bosses being way too hard and being way too punishing. I didn't feel that because, you know, I used my Ashes of War or whatever. You know, I used my, you know, I used my, uh, my, you know, wolf, uh, my wolf summon to distract the boss so I could get in some hits, you know. I got to the credits before you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I finished the game. I love my great swords too. I take I take it personally. No, I, I really don't. I really don't care. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, any way that you want to finish the game, it, it, I'm, I'm glad that they put in these options for people who, you know, maybe they are a fan of the older Final Fantasy games and they're just not clicking with the new style. This will allow them to play through the game uh, with with a different pace than someone who is accustomed to the action packed gameplay of of some modern games. Um, a lot of the you know a lot of the facial animations and stuff like that looked good. Um, I, I, you know, I found uh, some of them to be kind of funny, like the guy eating the apple midway through. And, you know, I, I just got to put this on record. If someone eats an apple in a movie or a video game, usually means they're evil. So I'm just going to say the guy who ate the apple, probably a, probably a villain in the story, <laughs> eventually. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it is, I mean, it has a bunch of the normal open world stuff that you might, you know, you, you've come to know and love. Finding new allies, upgrading gear, getting new gear, fighting bosses, going on side quests—you know all that stuff. It, it you know, it, it, it's definitely, it's definitely an open world game. And then they also showed off like these big kaiju-like fights, you know, all and 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 they, and they explained that every single one of them is kind of different, you know. In this one, you're playing as like a flying beast, and you're shooting a uh, another enemy. In this one, you're you know, you're on the ground and you're fighting a larger than life beast. In this one, you're, you know, fighting a similar sized one in like a street fighter type type kind of way or, you know, whatever. In this one, you know, there's, there's an enemy who, I don't know, he's, he's just floating. <laughs> it seems like all these little, you know, boss fights have, have something much different to them. You know, there's a, there's one that kind of reminded me of Bayonetta where it's like a big beast and you're kind of striking at the tentacles, you know? But it does look like they put a lot of passion and time and, and you know, they really took their time to flesh everything out. Um, hopefully it's not too many systems. I, I mean, there, there were times when I was watching the gameplay on screen, there's just so much happening. It kind of looked a little bit confusing, you know, like there's symbols everywhere and, you know, all the stuff on the screen was just going crazy and all the light effects from your weapons and, yeah. it's a little, It was a little bit crazy, but... Um, I did end up pre-ordering it. I, I will be playing this one. Um, it looks like it's going to be, um, very enjoyable. So I'm, I'm interested, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited, a little bit excited. And if you want to check out the state of play, it's of course on PlayStation's YouTube channel. If you want to check that out, you can check out the whole, uh, what, 25 minute showcase. Um, I thought it was very well done. I thought that they revealed enough. They, t they showed enough and, uh, Hopefully Final Fantasy fans are satisfied and, and maybe this game will will net a few new players like myself. Alright, let's move on to the next part of the show, which is what's in the news. Alright, first up, 
it was a long time coming, but Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League was officially delayed until next year, 2024. Now, we were all expecting a delay, but we did I mean, I did not expect this significant of a delay. A whole year doesn't just mean they're working on a few glitches or hiccups in the game's code or whatever. This seems to me, I mean, this is not going to be a total revamp, so don't expect the characters to not wield guns or, you know, you know, not, they're not to be like MMO elements in the game. Um, may, I, I'm, I am, I am kind of guessing that they are maybe possibly retooling the, um, the live service elements in the game because that was the biggest point of contention. You know, I want nothing but the best for Rocksteady. They've made three incredible Batman games. They helped make one of the worst Batman games and well, not the worst, but one of the, my least favorite ones in Arkham Origins. Um, and I just want, I want the best for Rocksteady. Okay. And when Suicide Squad killed the Justice League was originally announced, you have ideas of what the game will be like because you've played the, the Arkham games, you've played whatever. And it just wasn't anything like what anyone was expecting or wanted. And I think that was the main point of contention was like, hey, why is it a live service game? Why are there, why, why are there, why, <laughs> you know, I've talked about it before. It doesn't really make sense that Captain Boomerang is using a pistol. It doesn't make sense that Killer Shark is, is wielding a minigun. It, it, you know, it, I mean, it makes sense for Deadshot and Harley Quinn to have guns and weapons like that. But, <clears throat> you know, Captain Boomerang, it's in his name. He uses boomerangs. And there's not many depictions of him in comic books where he's wielding a fucking machine gun. Well, maybe for a couple, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe there is a, bit, a few, but I mean, but for the most part, he's, he's boomerang man, you know, killer shark. I mean, the, I mean, I don't know, like, you know, they, they had to kind of twist a few characters in order to, you know, make it into the game that it is now. Um, but yes, the game is officially being delayed all the way until February of 2024. You know, the uh, the of uh, the original release date of the game in May was right around the corner, and we were not getting any information about whether the game was actually delayed or not. And it became a point of uh, a little bit of a point of contention in the Discord. Um, where's the delay? You said there was going to be a delay. It was a strong rumor. Well, here it is. It's finally here. You know, I can I can rub my hands and snicker. I mean, it's not. I mean, I don't love delays. You know, especially something like this that's being delayed an entire year. But there's definitely going to be a re-reveal sometimes, sometime toward the end of the year, whether it be at the Game Awards or in a, its own state of play again, like it was before. There's definitely going to be some sort of re-reveal, and they're going to show off something that they worked on for the entire year, or you know, for most of the year that is maybe going to turn the tide of criticism, but we won't really know until we get to that point on Twitter. Uh, they put a simple statement out there. They said suicide squad kill the justice league will now launch on February 2nd, 2024. We have made the tough, but necessary decision to take the time needed to work on getting the game to the, be the best quality experience for players. Thank you to our amazing community for the continued support, patience and understanding. There is much more to share in the months ahead, and we look forward to seeing you in Metropolis next year. So, you know, like I said, Rocksteady has all the support in the world, you know, leading up to this game. 
They've made some of the best Batman games out there. Some of the best, you know, just games in general out there, you know? Arkham City is still one of those games that I love to play every single time. <laughs> yeah, every single time I pick it up, I just love playing that game and getting the 100%. And, you know, seeing something like this that's so wildly different maybe just tells me that the higher-ups at the company who maybe, you know, pushed this idea through or maybe had their fingertips go in there and be like, oh, but people love Destiny and and, and online games, so we should make this, a, you know, as close to that as we can. Maybe that just goes to show that the higher-ups don't really understand as, as, as well as the developers are actually working on the game, but... I mean, at, at one point, I do feel like this game was a co-op Arkham kind of experience with these bad guys, you know, which was a which would have been a completely different departure, you know. There was a Suicide Squad game that was like a first-person shooter that was supposed to come out a long time ago that was scrapped. But maybe this is the, you know, this is just a different evolution of that. It's hard to say. Um... But yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, 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 I mean, if, if they're going to real if they're going to truly retool this game, you know, just, just, I mean, all they really got to do, well, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what they could do at this point. When I watched that state of play, I wasn't like disappointed, but there were elements where I was like, that's kind of weird. That's weird. Why is that in this game? What the fuck? You know? So maybe they're just going to be retooling some of the online stuff. Uh, maybe they're going to, you know, retool some of the, you know, some some of the, the live service elements. Like there was supposed to be a season pass, you know, and, and stuff like that. It's, it's hard to say. But um, I guess, uh, I guess you know, we'll, we'll see what happens um, in a couple months when they do eventually re-reveal the game or, or maybe talk about what they did due to the game i feel like a delay like this is not just a simple patch glitch you know fine tune it feels like they are actually changing something about the game and it was very close to release i mean it was less i mean it was about a month away you know from release and uh you know you i mean the, you know they they said the game went gold a few a few weeks ago you know Maybe not a few weeks ago, but before the state of play, you know, the game went gold. They were big about that, and they were like, oh, it's it's coming, it's coming. That state of play was kind of a disaster for them. Maybe not a, a total disaster, but it definitely they definitely lost some of that good faith that um, people have for Rocksteady. And hopefully they can bounce back and, and show us something to get a more positive spin on it. We'll see. Like I said, I wasn't really that... I wasn't... I mean, I was kind of okay with the game... You know, I said I was going to play it because, you know, it's Rocksteady, you know, and, and I like DC. Well, not the DC movies for the most part, but, you know, I, I like DC more than Marvel when it comes to comic books and stuff and characters and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I was ready to support this game, but I did have concerns. And hopefully those concerns are addressed in this eight month delay. Well, eight uh, yeah, a year delay, whatever you want to say. All right, moving on. Sega, you know Sega, Sonic, uh, Sonic. Uh, they're poised to purchase the Angry Birds Maker for one billion dollars. Uh, right now, the company behind the famous Angry Birds games 
are up for sale, and Sega may just go ahead and acquire the Angry Birds maker Rovio for $1 billion. <clears throat> According to people familiar with the matter, the Sonic the Hedgehog maker could seal the deal as early as next week, assuming talks don't collapse between now and then. Obviously, the deal is subject to approval, but, I mean, it's just one developer, you know, so I, I feel like there won't be too much scrutiny on this one. Um, it's also worth noting that Sega itself merged with the uh, company Sammy in 2004. It produces all kinds of products, including arcade games and stuff like that. So bringing the Angry Birds branding to Sega will probably expand those different services. There's already a coin pusher game based around Angry Birds. It doesn't work anything like Angry Birds, but it's got the Angry Birds branding. Uh, Rovio is based in Finland. Um, they, have, of course, played a big role in the smartphone gaming business back in 2009. Everyone, I think everyone who had a smartphone back then was playing Angry Birds. Um, but uh, they haven't really done anything since like 2017 or something like that. You know, I, I believe the last game they put out was that Star Wars version of Angry Birds, I think. Um, but there was also, you know, there was also a movie, I think two movies, and uh, there was a bunch of spin-offs as well. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, we'll see if Sega does close the deal with this. I think, I think the, <clears throat> oh my gosh, I still have a bit of a, of a, of a cold going on right now. I do think that Sega is a good place for the Angry Birds developer to end up, you know, it's much better to end up with Sega than, you know, one of those like Chinese firms that snuff creativity you know when's the when's the last you know quantic dreams game i don't know but anyway uh so it's possible they will uh buy rovio in the coming week but we won't know until it's officially confirmed but we'll see we'll see what happens um hi uh hi haitaka miyazaki of course, the president of From Software, uh, who helmed games like Demon's Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, and the newest game, Elden Ring, in the From Software series, which sold over 20 million copies, has become one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2023. He is in the innovation category. He is the second video game developer to have been featured next to Shigeru Miyamoto, who was honored in 2007. Uh, of course, he had a lot of noteworthy stuff happening um, throughout his lifetime, you know, keeping the difficulty in games alive, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, but under Miyazaki's leadership, From Software has definitely risen to be one of the most popular developers in the industry, um, spawning legions of imitators for the Souls-like gameplay that is featured in their games even in the spin-off games like bloodborne and sekiro people and developers want to be like that you know because they're all they, they they just consistently put out bangers as they would say um so it's really awesome to see him recognized for the work that he's done at the company you know and of course he he does represent the the dozens and, and hundreds of developers or or people working below him as well you know, because it's not just Miyazaki who is making these games. 
And there's a whole crew of people underneath him, and he kind of just represents the whole of from soft of from software. Um, you know, there's a lot of talented people behind, you know, these games, and of course, not you know, not every game, you know, not every you know, not every aspect of these games are perfect. You know, I've had my gripes with all the games that I, I listed before, um, but they, I mean, you know, from Blight Town to the parry system of Sekiro. You keep coming back, and eventually, after pain and agony and a little bit of luck, you reach the end credits and you go, you know what? That was great. And you do it again. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to see Miyazaki getting recognized in, in Time Magazine. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other people who probably should and will be featured eventually um, but, uh, he, you know, right now Miyazaki is like, you know, the, from software is one of the biggest developers right now for good reason. Um, they've made a lot of great games and Elden Ring is just another one in their repertoire of, of, of gaming legends, <laughs> I guess you could say. <laughs> All right. Call of Duty Warzone. Uh, season three has come around and I really could care less at this point. <laughs> I stopped playing season two about a day into it. And uh, season three has offered players a chance to pay to win. Wow. Who would have guessed? Um, so now in the DMZ mode and Warzone mode, which is the name of the game, uh, the season three update has added in uh, an active duty roster where players can slot in equipment all at one time, and players will have a default of three slots to choose from where you can kind of dump your different uh, characters into. Active duty operators have their own persistent items, X-Fill Streaks, Dog Tag Rarity, Backpack Type, Kill Streak, Gas Mask, gas mask and Self-Revive. If you fail the X-Fill, only the individual operator will have his gear Streak and dog tag reset. All other operators will not be affected, which is nice. But if you wanna if you wanna spend some money, you can gain access to more active duty operator slots in addition to some great perks to get along the way. So things like the UAV, kill streaks, and uh, something along the lines of like extra armor slots or something like that, or maybe it's like a juggernaut slot or something like that. Um, people are not thrilled about this latest development in the game, claiming that Wars or Activision has cured their Warzone addiction by adding in pay-to-win mechanics. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of paying to win. Obviously, I've talked about it many, many times. Um, Obviously, you still need some sort of skill while playing Warzone to get the win. But be having the ability to buy a UAV perk, which shows you where people are in the nearby vicinity of your character, is pretty overpowered. Uh, usually, you have to find them through random drops in the world. But if you can just pay for it and put it on your character, boom, that, that eliminates one thing there. Also, the ability to buy things like, you know, kill streaks, kind of crazy, um, armor, gas masks, stuff. I'm sure. I, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, 
Obviously, it remains to be seen how much this is going to affect the game, but right now, players are not too happy about that. Um, you know, people complaining about the fact that, you know, hey, it, you know, the armor is not that big of a deal. If you can buy armor for your for your character, whatever. But the UAV and and kill streaks are just too much. Um, so it is. I mean, it's not it's not a hundred percent pay to win. But it's pretty damn close. It's it's pay to get a leg up on your competition, essentially. So uh, yeah, so just be careful if you're if you're a fan of Warzone. You know you you may you you may run to a few people who seem to have it all, and it's probably because they paid for it. <laughs> all right, Amnesia: The Bunker, the next game by the famous Amnesia you know, developers has been delayed by one week. Now, why would this be, you may ask? The game was ready to go. They had a firm release date. What happened? Well, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom happened. Um, they did not want to release on the same day or within the same week of Tears of the Kingdom, hoping that that will uh, improve their sales um, because people will be playing Tears of the Kingdom and then... They'll want to play the bunker afterwards. I don't know. The bunker is, I believe it's coming to Switch. So I guess, you know, they're dodging that on the Switch. But there's a lot of people who play on PlayStation and Xbox. You know, I, don't, I feel like they won't be affected by this whole thing. But, you know, you never know. In a press release, the studio said that they are carefully timing the release to avoid a week packed with awesome titles from other talented studios. This thoughtful decision means you can fully immerse yourselves in each amazing gaming experience without feeling overwhelmed. Um, so they moved the release date from the 16th of May to the 23rd of May, uh, which is, you know, the original uh, 16th of May release date was four days, af uh, four days after Tears of the Kingdom, three days before LEGO 2K Drive, and about two weeks after Redfall, uh, which are all titles that are coming out that same week of the 16th. So they decided to move their game to the week after that because apparently the week after that, everyone will stop playing these games and play the Amnesia, the bunker. <laughs> the logic is sound, though. You know, they want to move their title out of the cramped schedule that was that week. Um, so if, you, if you're waiting to play uh, Amnesia, the bunker, you got to wait a little bit longer. But there's other things to play, they're saying. So there you go. Don't forget that this game also launches on Xbox Game Pass if you want to check it out there. Little Wayne is going to be, uh, I guess, hosting the Street Fighter VI showcase that's going to be happening uh, this week, April 20th, 2023, at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Uh, Little Wayne is going to be anchoring the event. And uh, there's a trailer right now for the event on PlayStation's YouTube channel where Little Wayne essentially says, "Hey, tune in here. We're gonna have, uh, we're gonna show off a new fighter and some new modes and some big announcements. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe he'll do a song or maybe he'll just be a commentator. Who knows? Um, it would be, it would be kind of funny um, if they actually put him as an announcer in the game. You know, maybe that's the big reveal is Little Wayne doing the announcing." Which would be kind of cool. I mean, they did they did that with Snoop Dogg back on Call of Duty Ghosts, and that was pretty popular. Uh, so maybe they'll do it on uh, Street Fighter Six. Have Little Wayne come in. I think that would be kind of cute. <laughs> um, so this is the the showcase for Street Fighter Six, hosted by Little Wayne, 3 p.m. Pacific time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard. 
Um, in the UK, it's going to be about 11 p.m. Um, and other areas, it's going to be next the, the next day. So there you go. Um, I'm interested to see more of this game, obviously. Uh, currently, they've really only showed off a couple of new characters, but it's, it's looking pretty good. So if you want to check that out, April 20th will be the showcase for Street Fighter VI. Ghostwire Tokyo, which recently launched on Xbox and Xbox Game Pass, has gotten a big update, uh, which is out now. It's adding a bunch of new content, a new game mode, etc. Uh, so the new game mode is a roguelite mode where you go through different levels of, um, you know, just kind of like fighting various enemies on in different in on different in different places, from rooftops to dreamlike areas. Um, so, uh, the name of this update is called Spider's Thread, a new roguelite mode that takes you through 30 stages of combat tests. There will be new side quests in the main game, along with extended story cutscenes and photo mode enhancements. Uh, this is a free update, so you can actually download it now. Um, there's also new weapons or new abilities to use, including kind of like a machine gun uh, a magic spell thing <laughs> or whatever. Um, and then of course, like I said, there's also new optional missions being added and another location being added on the map, which is going to be a haunted school in the press release. They said, uncover the secrets behind the strange phenomena incur occurring in the haunted school, including an eerie science mannequin, a phenomenon, a paranormal sighting in the bathroom, and even the legend of Hanako San. Um, so there you go. One of the side quests will have you tasked with locating 25 photographs, which sounds thrilling because the base game is also a giant collectathon. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, this is a pretty nice update, you know. Um, I'll be playing this game eventually uh, on the on, on Twitch, probably during the uh, you know October streaming uh, October streams. Um, so. You know, if you want to check out this update, it's available now if you're a fan of the game or if you're just getting into it, there's a bunch of new stuff to do. Right? Meow. The Mario movie has officially surpassed $500 million globally. It is now the biggest video game adaption ever, surpassing The Last of Us and the last Super Mario Bros. movie. Ant-Man and the Wasp couldn't even compare. Warcraft and Detective Pikachu fail in comparison. Um, it was originally announced that they were going to be, make, be making over $300 million. Uh, but now with the official, with the official, you know, funds, uh, the sales, $500 million, over $500 million, uh, $508.7 million is the official number. I'm doing my part. I saw the movie once. Um, I know a couple people in the Discord have watched the movie so far. Uh, I think Lukester in the Discord watched it twice now. Um, which, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, Mario is, is, is one of the biggest properties out there. It's Nintendo's spokesman, you know, and all the other characters in there are very popular as well. Bowser, Luigi, Peach, Toad, you know. Um and this is also uh, in, in conjunction with Illumination. This is Illumination's best-selling movie, you know, or best, you know, best opening weekend for a movie. Um, it's probably it's probably their best movie in general, you know, since Despicable Me one. Uh, so it it just it it makes sense. And like I said last time, 
this movie is definitely going to be up for an Oscar for animation. There's no doubt about that. Despite what I say about the story, you know, the animation and the, the movie as a whole is pretty good. Um, I just had some, I, you know, I didn't like Cranky Kong's voice actor. He is not a good fit. And obviously Seth Rogen is a little bit cringe, but he was fine in general. Um, the story's a bit, a bit fast and they don't, they don't get the, have character growth like, uh, uh, other animated movies like Puss in Boots 2, you know, but that's besides the point. I, I do think that's a shoe when they get a nomination at least. And also, um, the song Peaches from the movie sung by Jack Black is actually eligible for an Oscar as well, uh, if they so desire to do that, which I think would be great for Jack Black. Um, it would be pretty cool. So yeah, $500 million globally, pretty crazy, and uh, you know that there's going to be a sequel being made. Whether it's a Donkey Kong spinoff or another movie featuring Chris Pratt and Charlie Day, I guess we won't know until they officially announce it. Moving on, Ubisoft Plus is officially launched on Xbox. Now, I talked about this before, and I thought this was going to be a part of Xbox Game Pass, which would have made that a crazy good deal, especially if they didn't upgrade the price. I was wrong. It is its own thing. It's just coming to the service on its own. Um, the full pricing and lineup details have been revealed. Uh, so it's going to be about $17 per month, which is more than Xbox Game Pass, believe it or not. Uh, it's a multi-access plan where you can also enjoy the same games on PC as well as even Amazon's Luna Cloud Gaming Service at no extra charge. Uh, there's over 60 games included with Ubisoft Plus uh, and over 100 on PC. Um, so if you want... So there's 60 games available on Xbox right now. So Anno 1800, all the Assassin's Creed games, Battleship, <laughs> Boggle... Family Feud, all pretty much all the Far Cry games that you can think of, For Honor, Ghost Recon, um, Immortals Phoenix Rising, Monopoly, oh boy, pretty much all the Rabbids games you can think of, and Rainbow Six games, Risk, Scrabble, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, South Park, both of the South Park games, Steep, both of the Crew games, the Division games, Trekmania Turbo, all the Trials games, Uno, Trivial Pursuit, all the Watch Dogs games, Valiant Hearts, Wheel of Fortune, and Zombie, to name a few. Those are all going to be available on the service right now. Well, maybe not right now, but whenever it's released. Um, so it will launch with um, with access to premium editions like Dawn of Ragnarok, included in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, so you will get a few new releases with Ubisoft Plus. There's a 10% discount on virtual currency. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, so you can sign up for Ubisoft Plus today and connect your Xbox account to explore the rich worlds of Ubisoft games for $17.99 USD. Each month, an auto-renew will auto-renew auto until canceled. Um, I'm not getting you... I mean, I'm, I, 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 I don't think Ubisoft's games... Like... You can buy most Ubisoft games for like 10 bucks on Steam or wherever anyway at this point. Why would I spend $20 to have access to all the games that most of them I don't care about? I don't mind Ubisoft. They they, they do good work at in some aspects, in some areas, don't get me wrong. But their catalog of games just isn't... It's not thrilling enough to make me go, Oh boy, can't wait to play, you know, Risk. 
Like, I, I like the Assassin's Creed series, but I've played them all. I like some of the Rainbow Six stuff, but I've played it. I have it already. You know? I like the division. I already played it. I don't need I don't need to pay for the subscription, but maybe it's good for someone else. So there you go. All right, let's move on to the next section of the podcast, which is what's coming soon. All right. <clears throat> Warhammer 40k bolt gun has a release date now. Um, I don't think I actually talked about this game before. I meant to, but I forgot. Essentially, it's a boomer shooter in the uh, in the same vein as the original Doom games, but in the Warhammer universe. Shooting up uh, orcs and demons and stuff like that. You know how it goes. Purging the unholy. <laughs> uh, so the official release date for that is May 23rd. If you want to check out a trailer, there's one on, on PlayStation's YouTube channel or the Warhammer uh, official YouTube channel. Looks pretty good. I mean, you know, for a, for a modern boomer shooter that is in the style of Doom, looks like they put a lot of love and care into this game. A lot of cool weapons to use, lots of cool areas to explore. Um, it's actually being made by um, uh, Focus Home Entertainment in, in association with Warhammer, which is pretty good. So there you go. <clears throat> you can pre-order it now if you want to. I don't believe there's any pre-order benefits, so, you know, don't worry about that. Uh, but the game will be available across the board. PlayStation, Xbox, PC, um, Switch, I think. It's going to be available on Switch. Um, so, yeah, if you like boomer shooters, May 23rd is your day for Bolt Gun. The Lord of the Rings Gollum finally has a official release date. It's coming out next month. We've had release windows. We've had release years. But now we officially have another release date, which is the 25th of May, 2023. It's been confirmed that the game has gone gold, meaning that the launch day will be locked in unless Daedalic Entertainment pulls the plug again and decides to delay it again. Now, as I've said many, many times, delays are a good thing, and we should not be too mad about delays. But at this point, you start, you start to get a bit concerned with the amount of delays that Gollum has ensued, or endured, I should say. Not ensued, endured. Um, and the fact that we really haven't seen too much of actual gameplay and actual anything of this game, it's a bit concerning. Will I be buying the game? Of course. I love The Lord of the Rings. I think that this game could be an interesting concept, and I really want to see what they do with it. Because it kind of has like that sticks shadows game gameplay kind of or maybe it kind of sounds like it might be like sticks but it also has like some sort of like telltale system of like decision making I, I, it's hard to say because they really haven't shown enough of the game off hopefully we get some sort of grand reveal in the next coming weeks that'll really make me excited but as of right now i'm just borderline i'm just i'm just a general interested in this um so uh, but I I want to be excited for it. I just can't get excited for it right now because there's not enough shown off and the Rocky development cycle has been a bit off-putting. Um, but hey, you know, Dead Island 2 is looking great. So there's that. So that that's kind of a glimmer of hope for Gollum. So we'll see what happens. Um, so yeah, it, it's officially coming on the 25th of May. We'll see if anything else changes. But uh, hopefully, hopefully we do get our hands on it, our grubby little mitts on it in the coming month 
Shrine 5 has been officially revealed. Um, it's coming to Xbox and other platforms in summer. Um, I don't believe there's an official release date yet for it. If you know what Shrine is, you know it's like a 2D uh, platformer, action platformer, co-op action platformer. You can play as a bunch of different characters from a wizard to a warrior to a thief. And uh, this game looks to be more of the same, just with a bit of a graphical boost, I suppose you could say. The Trine games have always been kind of fun, but I've never really gotten through uh, gotten through them. I think I played through Trine 3, and that's about it. Um, but, I mean, this game looks fine. I, it has a bit of a steampunk aesthetic to it, which is a bit different from what I remember from the older games. Uh, I mean, the Shrine games are always quality, whether it be with their puzzle solving or from their co-op elements or whatever. You know, they're usually pretty high quality games and they're usually, they just kind of like go on, you know, they, they get swept under the rug a little bit, but they're usually fine experiences that are are worth playing at a discount. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this is the, you know, they're, they're bringing it back, a clockwork conspiracy. It's coming in summer. 2023 on all platforms um and the game is looking visually stunning looks a little it looks more brighter than the other trine games i'll give it that <laughs> uh, but we'll wait to see more about this in the coming months tears of the kingdom or kingdom of tears as one person likes to put it <laughs> which sounds more like a romance novel uh tears of the kingdom the final pre-launch trailer has come out and of course, they show a lot, but they also don't really show a lot. Um, a lot of people are saying that there's a lot to kind of pick over in this trailer, but there's also not a lot to pick over because, you know, what are you gonna what are you gonna say? Um, the trailer's fine. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm not. I mean, I will tell you right now. I I think what they're doing with the game looks interesting. The combination mechanics, the goo, the different things that they show off, it looks interesting. But after playing Breath of the Wild. I just, I feel like this is not going to be a game for me once again, so I am going to be skipping it. I know it's one of the biggest releases this year. I also didn't get Hogwarts Legacy. You know why? Because I'm not a Harry Potter nut, okay? And I'm also not really a big Legend of Zelda fan, and that was, maybe I'm more so not a Breath of the Wild fan, because I do like other Legend of Zelda games, but I think I'm just not a big Breath of the Wild person, and this game is pretty much, you know, it's Breath of the Wild 2. You know, it's 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 it looks like it's going to be relatively the same, just with some really interesting and cool, crazy things, but it's just not enough to make me go, whoa, I think this is going to be my cup of tea. I don't think it is, and I don't I don't want to I I want to I want to play games that I'm interested in, and I feel like if I play this game and I play it for a couple hours and I feel bored. I'm going to feel really bad giving it a slightly negative review. <laughs> but this final trailer looks, I mean, looks good. And if you're a fan of Zelda uh, and you, you're hyped for this game, you may want to check it out. Or if you want to stay more so in the dark, maybe don't. It's up to you. Uh, so Hori, who is a big controller and uh, developer for the Switch, uh, they do a lot of licensed things. They did a Damon X Machina controller back in the day. Um, their game pads are pretty high quality. Their Switch controllers are pretty high quality. Uh, they announced that on May 12th, alongside where the, when the game is released, uh, they will have some Switch products available, like a multifunctional play stand, a wide pouch that holds games and the Switch, 
the the official grip controller, which is like a it's a, it's pretty much a controller cut in half and put on the on the switch, which is really nice. I really like mine. Uh, a medium pouch for just switch carrying and a official Joy-Con controller, um, left and right controller as well. Uh, the designs look pretty nice. You know, on the right controller, there's like the cover of the game. And on the left, there's like either a black with gold aesthetic or a white with gold aesthetic, which is pretty nice. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if all these things are going to be sold in America right now. They're just official in Japan, but I'm pretty sure they'll be bringing over at least the controllers and the pouches to America. I'm not sure about the play stand. I've never seen the play stand before in America, so maybe they won't bring over the play stand, but you know, whatever. If you're interested, you can check it out on Hori's official website. Walkabout Mini Golf is coming to the PlayStation VR 2 on the 11th of May. It's a mini golf game. Who could have guessed? In VR. Uh, so essentially, it kind of works like any mini golf game where you hit the ball and you try and get it into the hole. Of course, there's physics in the game. Whoa. And crazy locations like Alice in Wonderland, underwater shipwrecks, your mother's basement. <laughs> and also there's apparently ca uh, character customizations. Essentially, it's just like a floating head with an arm that you can customize. Full crossplay will be available across the Oculus and Steam. Um, so, yeah, that's coming May 11th. Um, I mean, it looks kind of fun, you know. I, I, you know, it's, it, it, every, every one of these games just kind of reminds me of the golf mode in, in Wii Sports. So, you know, there's that. But it looks like it's going to be pretty fun. If you want to pick that up, it's going to be available on the 11th of May for... Um, I don't see a price here, but I'm guessing it's going to be about $15, $20 or so. Um, there's no word on pricing yet. Okay, but there's a lot of DLC that will be bundled in day one. Because it was a... Okay, so it originally launched on the Quest 2. So there's 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 DLC and stuff that's going to be included. So maybe it's going to be more like $30, which is a bit expensive for a game like this. But we'll see. We'll wait and see. Pokemon Stadium is officially available on the N64 library on the Nintendo Switch Online service, if you want to check that out. Battle your way to the top of the championships or play online with friends in Pokemon Stadium, now available on Nintendo Switch Online Expansion Pack. Um... Yeah, if you want to try that out, it's available now. I've seen a lot of people play it so far, and they're having fun with it, reliving those memories. This game originally released in 2000 with the original 151 Pokemon. So if you're nostalgic for all that, boom, here you go. Um, just as a reminder, you won't be able to transfer Pokemon from the Game Boy versions of the game to this title, but maybe eventually they'll release the Pokemon games on the NSO Switch Online service. But... Probably not, because Pokemon Company and Nintendo love money. There's a new Superman... I'm sorry, a new Super Bomberman game coming out called Super Bomberman R2. It's coming to the Switch in September. Uh, it's the 40th anniversary celebration of Bomberman, and of course they're revealing a new game this week, which is going to come on the 13th of September in North America and the 14th in Europe and Japan. Physical versions of the, day, of the game will be available in North America a day earlier for some reason. Um, so Super Bomberman R2 is a sequel to Super Bomberman R. Uh, a lot of people found Super Bomberman R to be a bit lackluster. Uh, but this game is going to incorporate story modes, base building mechanics, and traveling to new planets to fight some tough foes. Plus, there's going to be lots of cameos from other Konami characters. Um, so... 
in this latest title, there will be a new adventures and game modes, and it's going to be the largest volume content volume in the series history, featuring offline battles that can be played with family and friends, but also online battles that can be connected with players from all over the world, as well as a single player mode. In addition, there is the uh, in, in, in addition to the Standard and Grand Prix mode and Battle 64 modes, there will be a new mode called Castle, in which players are divided into attack side and castle side to battle for treasure. Uh, a stage editor function will also be added, along with um, being able to create your own castle stages. In Battle mode, you'll be able to enjoy four-player Battle mode, including the new Castle mode, Standard, Grand Prix, and Battle 64, Grade matches, uh, battles between users with similar abilities, room matches, which is a free battle mode, offline battle mode, stage editor, story mode, etc. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of content here, which sounds like it's going to be well worth trying out if you are a Bomberman fan. Like I said, the last game was kind of received kind of with a thud, you know, a resounding meh because of the lack of anything in the game. Uh, so it looks like they're definitely putting their best foot forward. And Bomberman, you know what? He deserves it. It's his 40th anniversary. Give him something good. Once again, that's going to be coming out in September of this year. Game called Killer Frequencies is coming out June 1st. This is like a murder mystery game where you play as a DJ radio host, playing tunes while also trying to be a detective and figure out who done it? Essentially, it's Clue, except you're a DJ host. There's things to look at, and songs to play, and tunes to save lives. Um, it looks like there's a bit of choice in here. I don't know. The game kind of—I mean, it's an interesting concept, but it's just not really speaking to me personally. It's coming June first, um, and it's coming from Team Seventeen, and I, I do like Team Seventeen. Uh, you will play as Forrest Nash, a radio DJ in the 1980s. You present a late-night show called The Scream. It also just happens that a serial killer is on the loose in the area. During the radio show, it falls to you to take calls from listeners, gather clues about the murder, murderer, and try to prevent your audience from being killed. Speaking to a caller will give you various conversation options, which may lead to some useful clues and information about the killer. When you're off the phone, you can explore the studio and piece things together and solve puzzles as you crack the case. On top of all that, you also need to select and play music tracks, all of which are inspired by the 80s. So yeah, like I said, I mean, it looks interesting, but I don't know if it's going to be my cup of tea, but yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe after another trailer, maybe I'll change my mind. Who knows? Who knows? Company of Heroes 3 is going to be coming to consoles on the 30th of May. It's already been released on Steam to a resounding, mostly mixed reviews. Uh, so the console version of the game, they definitely they overhauled a lot of things. This is the first Company of Heroes game coming to console, so there's a lot of stuff they need to kind of retool for the console release. Uh, and that's coming to uh, storefronts on the consoles on the 30th of May. Uh, Pre-orders are available from... On the 25th of April, for some reason, so they're not, <laughs> so whatever. Um, so yeah, if you want to check this out on console, there you go. If you're more of a keyboard kind of guy, then you may just want to pick it up on Steam. But like I said, the reviews have not been favorable for this iteration of Company of Heroes, so I'm a bit leery on picking it up on either. 
Here are 16 games coming to PlayStation Plus Extra and Premium tiers next week. So, um, starting on the 18th of April, this week, I'm sorry, this week, starting on the 18th of April, you'll be able to play games like Kenna Bridge of Spirits, Doom Eternal, Riders Republic, Wolfenstein 2, Slay the Spire, Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom, The Evil Within, Wolfenstein the Old Blood, Bassmaster Fishing, Paradise Killer, and Sackboy A Big Adventure, all in the extra tier. And it's uh, interesting to note that a lot of those games are Bethesda games, which are owned by Xbox, so maybe this is an olive branch to PlayStation. And even more intriguing, PlayStation Plus Premium Games, um, Doom, PS4 version, Doom 2, PS4 version, Doom 64, PS4 version, Doom 3, PS4 version, and Dishonored Definitive Edition, PS4 version, will all be available on the Premium tier. For some reason, it's Premium tier. Uh, those Doom games, they're like two bucks a pop. Why are you going to spend over $100 to play a Doom game for free? Quote, unquote. They're like they're like five bucks a pop on the store. D- Dishonored? Is this really a premium tier type game? Premium tier games are supposed to be old school. They're supposed to be like PS2, PS3, PS1. What the fuck are we doing here? This is ridiculous. You tout this premium tier like it's gonna be the you know the nostalgia bait for your fucking your whole fucking system. You you there's it's too expensive, and you don't even fucking add games that are worth it to get this fucking product for. Uh, it it pisses me off. It really fucking does. They've done the bare minimum with this service, and they're just slapping users in the face who pray, who pay premium tier with games like this. These are good games, don't except for Doom 3. These are good games, but are they premium tier games? I don't think so. Dishonored should be on the extra tier. All these Doom games should be on the extra tier. We should be getting PS2, PS1, PS3, Vita games on this service, and we are not. And they only do a select amount every so often. It's not worth it to get the premium tier still. And maybe it's worth the extra tier to a lot of people, but the premium tier is still not worth it in my opinion. They have not done enough. They need to do more. Take it seriously. If you want this to be the Xbox Game Pass competitor, you're not doing a great job so far. And that's my opinion. Fuck off. Alright, here are six games that are confirmed for Xbox Game Pass in May. So, we have Redfall coming in May uh, May 2nd. Ravenlock coming May 4th. Fuga, Melodies of Steel 2 coming May 11th. Amnesia the Bunker, coming May 23rd. Railway Empire 2, coming May 25th. And Far World Pioneers, coming May 30th. Those are all the games that are officially confirmed for the for May so far. It's crazy that I'm already talking about May games in general. I feel like this year is kind of squeaking past, sneaking on past us here. Well, all right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ferris 64. I appreciate that. Your one-stop shop for all your video game news and needs and occurrences. I also stream on Twitch Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. We are currently playing through the Assassin's Creed Chronicles China game, which has been a pretty good experience so far. And we're going to be starting The West of Loathing on Tuesday. Uh, if you want to check me out on other platforms like YouTube or anything like that, it's all at Yemi the Ferret. And if you want to check out my other podcasts I do, Film Freaks with a Z is the movie podcast I do. The latest episode about the Count of Monte Cristo. The next episode is going to be about the movie Inception. Uh, 
And I also do a podcast called Fubar Ferret where I talk about everything and it's kind of goofy and kind of silly and kind of sexual. <laughs> um, but yeah, I appreciate you listening to this episode of Ferret 64. If you made it this far in the video, uh, in the podcast, uh, comment in the Ferret 64 section of my Discord what your favorite Legend of Zelda character is. And I will nod and say, great choice. Um, as for me, though, I'm out of here. I'm in the ferret. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. I'll talk at you next week. Bye-bye. The Ferret 64 Podcast is owned and edited by Yemi the Ferret. The song Nightshade, used in the intro and outro, is owned by Adhesive Wombat. Small sound clips during the podcast were made by Yemi the Ferret. News sources include NintendoLife.com, PushSquare.com, and PureXbox.com. All opinions video game related are my own. Thank you for listening.